Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Today, we talk about policies, but don't worry, it won't be boring at all. What is needed to change one of the largest farming subsidy schemes in the world, the CAP, or the Common Agriculture Policy, here in Europe? Mind you, this is over 400 billion every seven years in Europe, and most of it goes towards not regenerative practices, and thus, most of the agriculture system in Europe is in a very, very bad shape. So what is needed to change this, and what pathways and successful examples do we have of European policy change. This is a much more optimistic and practical interview than you might imagine. It's about how to gather the pioneers in the regen and agroecology movement who against all odds and honestly against all subsidies have built very successful food and agriculture companies. Not enormous, but they employ people, produce a lot of food and keep their ecosystem in a very healthy shape. How do we empower them to replicate their success? What's the role of investments here? And how do we create a strong enough voice in Brussels to change the rules of the game. This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, wear and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode today with a former Patagonia worker who spent five years with the EMEA headquarters in Amsterdam working on agriculture and energy and then went back to his village in France to reopen the cafe of his ancestors and work on the farm and of course work on a university actually of farmers. But most importantly, and that's where we'll spend most of the time here on the podcast, we'll be talking about policy and why we have to change the cup in Europe, which spends most of the European budget on farms and on farming, let's say, not in a very regenerative way. And so unless we change that, um, regenerative farming will always be uh, some some playing in the margin, as they say, I think, in, in Dutch. So welcome, Hervé. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation, which has been a few years in the making. And I'm looking forward to unpack so much with you this morning. Hi, Kun. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. And let's start with the obvious question. I mean, you grew up in a small village in France. Um what ended up your journey? Because you could have stayed in Amsterdam working in uh, in Patagonia or somewhere else. I mean, in, in terms of corporate career, that's probably as, as high as you get. Like what made you come back to to the land? What made you come back to, to agriculture and food and, and switch quite drastically a career from in the city of Amsterdam back to uh, opening or reopening a cafe in Northern France? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, reopening the cafe is... Uh... 
is, I think, uh, one uh, one project among many others, <laughs> like like many entrepreneurs, I guess. Um, I think you know, uh, Patagonia was for me a, 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 a tremendous and beautiful uh, uh, university in a way. I, I I had the chance to, to to do a job that put me in touch with all the pioneers across Europe when when it comes to you know the forefront of uh, how our society could look like. Uh, you know, by 2050. So I really talked with amazing uh, personalities. Um, and, uh, and yet, uh, I think, uh, the, the world, uh, of crises we live now, it needs people to do. It does not need people to only talk. I think both are important. And I guess I talk today, but I also try to do. And it's, in, it felt for me very important to go back to my roots where I belong in, uh, I would call it underprivileged, uh, region in France. And, and really apply everything I've learned, everything I've seen. And I, and I had the perfect soil for that. You know, I had a house. I had a history in that village. I have a place to create wherever I want. And I felt like, you know, to make the true decisions in your life, you need to leave the problems. And if you don't leave the problem and you live in a bubble, because Amsterdam is just an amazing city, everything is beautiful, everything is easy. Uh, and I was winning quite a lot of money. So you didn't have any problems. So the decisions you make are not so radical or are not so, you know, close to the ground, let's say. And I, and I really needed to feel that to, to make sure that I was not out of track, um, looking at what of most people are actually living, uh, in Europe. Um, you know, like, uh, Amsterdam life is not really the, <laughs> the, the life of 99% of, of, of European citizens. The default, no. And, and when do you remember when? you noticed for the first time or really saw like the immensity of the policy, I would say issue or challenge or opportunity as well. Like that gigantic elephant in the room yeah. that we, we avoid yeah. talking about mostly on this podcast because I never see clear pathways of change. And that's why I'm, I'm so happy to have you here. But do you remember when you yeah. saw like, whoa, this, like this is the elephant and the one we have to tackle. Otherwise everything else seems sort of uh, irrelevant. And, and yeah. just, just a joke. Yeah. Well, before joining Patagonia, I walked uh, an entire year through Latin America with a friend of mine. We walked, uh, so 7,500 kilometers, which is about 5,000 miles. So we truly walked through mostly indige indigenous lands, uh, starting from Mexico and going down to Chile, Argentina, and Ushuaia. And while walking on those indigenous lands, you actually see, you know, the backyard of a globalization. And, and, and for me, that was kind of the, the analogy or the metaphor of, of cap system, you know, like we heavily destroy, uh, ecosystems, uh, social ecosystems and natural ecosystems, uh, wherever we, we subsidies. And then I was back, I started to work with Patagonia, starting understanding, you know, the deep roots of what's happening. And then I came back in my village, uh, for vacation. And I just, you know, you just take your car and you go through the landscape. And I was like, well, that landscape is fundamentally wrong. You know, like I see, I, and I saw energy and, and, and agriculture at the same time. So you only see those, uh, arable farming fields. You don't see a tree anymore over dozens and dozens of kilometers. And then you see those big wind turbines in the middle of those fields because that system, agricultural system does not make sense anymore for farmers. They also build or they receive a lot of subsidies to build those gigantic wind turbines. So. And I was like, holy shit, that, that, that whole fucking thing is crooked. There's you no know, like, tree, just a big tube. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
There's there's no tree, just a big steel yeah, wind yeah, turbine. Yeah. Which, the, the forest we're yeah. creating is a yeah. forest of wind turbines. And in the middle, you have our villages. And then, and then you start accumulating social problems. And you see that those villages, they're kind of dead, socially dead and stuff. And I was like, doesn't make sense anymore. Like, and, and, and because I worked in the, at Patagonia, I was also very much aware of all the indicators around biodiversity, climate change, and the fact that our water cycles are totally disrupted. And I was like, well, this is it. This is, this is happening live in front of me. And it's not like it's been driven by those farmers, but it's been imposed by the system to those farmers since the second world war, you know, like, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really wrong. It's, it's not working. And, and, and my land, where I come from, the social and economical value is just drying out. It's just pumped by huge corporations that hold most of the added value. They extract it from that land. It's really, you know, extractivism. They extract it and they bring it to, to their huge company and you never see it back into our, our land. In, in our regions. And this is really where it started from that walk where I, I opened my eyes. I needed to go out of my system, my normal system to see it. Then I came back, re-educated myself at Patagonia. And when I was back in my, in my region, I was like, that's, that's just totally wrong. It, it doesn't, it's not, it's not going well. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. And from seeing that to acting, I mean, you say we need more acting than, than talking. Like what... Um, what was your pathway there? Like what led you to, okay, this is something, or maybe even going from total despair, like it's, it's so wrong, but we've been doing it since the second world war. So it's been, let's say that the tracks have been laid and it's quite a, a deep track. Like it's quite difficult to, to yeah. get out. If you, if we take the Amsterdam anal analogy, like if you're on your bike and you're stuck in the tram track, you're going to follow the tram for a while, unless you fall yeah. or stop and get out. Like there's, there's, and because that track is going to follow your, your, your tire is going to follow that track for quite a while. And in this case, we've been following this track for quite a bit. What gave you hope? What gave you like yeah. a sense of actually something, this, this is not an impossible task. Yeah. Yeah. A very good question. And, uh, I think, uh, there is one example that I worked on a lot that gave me, you know, okay, this is what we need to do. So, you know, Patagonia is very well known for its grassroots activism. So, you know, bottom-up approach. And, and, and of course, this is important, but now we are just running out of time in front of all the social and environmental crises. Like, we don't have time anymore. Uh, we need to tackle every level. And there is one entity that is tackling every level, which is within energy community. So, in Europe now, we have a federation called RESCU, which is for Renewable Energy Sources Cooperatives. So, and it's a different type of cooperatives than, than we, what we have in agriculture, right? It's citizens across Europe, they have decided to produce their own energy. And they do that by creating so-called renewable energy communities. So it is spread out all across Europe and heavily decentralized system. And yet what those thousands of communities have done. They said, Hey, we need to federate. So 
very big difference between federating and centralizing. They did not centralize themselves. They still, they stay very agile, very much in their community because they produce their local energy. So very small companies of couple of employees, most of them. But they said, we're going to federate because we do the, the same thing all across Europe. They federated themselves at the European level. They are well identifiable. They have created a storytelling. We are renewable energy communities. We produce local, social, economical, environmental services, but we want to be recognized by, by the European Union. So they created that federation and they basically added the numbers and they saw, they saw very quickly that, hey, we represent such a powerful player on the market because we service more than a million citizens for their daily energy. So you see that's the perfect alliance of heavily decentralized model, which is not focusing money and therefore not focusing power, but is distributing money and power within the territories. And at the same time, they are able to represent themselves at the European level. This is exactly the model we need for agriculture, right? So just to unpack a bit, these are groups of citizens, which could be hundreds or thousands, depending on where you are, that yeah. then ended up building these wind turbines or building solar parks and building local energy sources, but owning them. And instead of that extractive model you just explained, like, okay, somebody comes in, pays a lot of subsidy or pays a lot of money to a farmer, puts a huge wind turbine, but that's it. Like all the local, the energy, first of all, of course, is used locally, but isn't, so, isn't sold locally, meaning that everybody locally pays the enormous price. Now we see it in this winter yeah. uh, in, in Europe, and we'll get to that in a second. But also like if you own that wind turbine or if you own... As a community, suddenly very different things become possible because you first exactly. of all put it there and all the money and all the added value stays there. For sure, you hired a local company to do most of the work. For sure, you make sure that some of the profit goes to the local school to get buses. I mean, all of these, these are endless stories of uh, local communities getting together and own their, um, yeah. their energy source, which I think in this time of crisis is an absolute, like before it was already very relevant and this time of crisis, it's an absolute must. And they got together and said, okay, actually we, we are quite a force. We are 1 million yeah. customers We're and we should go to Brussels, which is the headquarters of, of Europe and, and let this voice be known. And then they, did they start changing? Because like, yes. was there, was there legislation change needed and was that voice needed for something instead of just saying, Hey, look, we're here. We serve a lot of people. Don't listen only to the big fossil fuel energy companies. Like there's actually an alternative or was there a goal of going to Brussels and change something? Yeah, it, it, it's exactly what they did. Like maybe a bit in a naive way, but they were like, well, we do represent a competitor on the European market. Let's not forget that European Union is based on a, on a, on a free market. You know, European Union always talk about consumers, never really citizens. They, they talk about consumers. So once you do represent a, a, a concrete and solid competitor on the European market, you must you, you are entitled to have a place on the market. You, you are entitled to be recognized by the market and by European Union. So that's what they did. Very naively, they said, well, we are a competitor on the European market. We want our share from the policies you basically build right now only for mostly giants. And what I want to say is that they are not against the giants. They do understand that they also have a role to play. It's just they really want to rebalance the where the money goes. You know, like from owning 99% by the giants, they say, hey, we want our share. Like whether it's 30%, 40, 
they, they do understand they have a role to play, especially in research and development, in, in backing up when it needs, you know, when, when you need to make a big investment, they, they have, you know, they have like the, the, the solidity to, to back up those investments and work together. And, 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 and you see that happening. Of course, if you let only the giants, the giants, they always want more market shares. But if you have a political entity that is able to balance because they see a complementary system represented by citizens gathering, making something solid with good business models, then the political, they're going to say, Hey, now the giants, you're going to work with those, those, those citizens that have well structured themselves, that have built more added value in their territories that are not so concentrated as you are. And, and so you balance, you know, the, the, the effect of capitalism, because if you let capitalism go by itself, it will always focus money on one part of the system. If you take food system, that's what's happening. If you take energy system, that's what has happened as well. And it's just about the fighting the no normal tendency and the natural tendency of capitalism to always focus money and therefore power. So that's what that model of energy has done because they tend to produce local energy. So they create small companies um, and, and, and they are spread out all over our European territories. And that's very healthy because it brings back people, it brings back jobs, and it, of course, it brings back social links within our communities. And, and so what has yeah. happened this year? Like what, we're in a very challenging time in terms of energy markets and prices and, and because of the war, obviously, and gas prices have gone through the roof and thus electricity prices. And some people like suddenly energy is a thing in Europe. Like yeah. with these, do you have a sense what has happened with these energy communities? Like if I would be a customer of an energy or a customer and a co-owner and a participant or whatever, maybe even an investor, because in many cases they finance things through the crowd as well. Like what would I have noticed the difference of being a participant there compared to being a, a client or customer of one of the giants? Well, exactly. Well, to give you a good example, in my village, uh, we are starting with the farmer and the, the mayor. We have a, s a small group. We are starting what we call a collective auto consumption. So we are starting to consume among each other's our own energy. And, and, and that's a direct cut in your energy bill because from being uh, shaken by the, 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 the inflation and everything what's happening on the markets and, and be dependent on your energy bill from those giants. Well, you start consuming the energy you produce. And therefore the energy is just, if you linearize it over a long period of time, like a couple of decades, then it's very cheap. And so you are out of the inflation bubble, uh, because your local authorities, like for example, the village, I started, I decided to, to, to invest into, into a collective auto consumption. So you are protecting at the local level from what's happening on the market. It's and not like give, it's going to cover. Uh, yeah. Just to give a bit of background for anybody listening outside Europe or depending on where you are in Europe, but there are places where I've seen gas bills going from the same month last year in 2021, this year, seven times. So this yeah. is not 5% here or 10% there, which is already a lot and, and could push companies over the edge, but this is five times, seven times. Uh, yeah. It's really an unprecedented speculation, unprecedented money-making machine for some places and unprecedented shock for many others. If you have an energy intensive company or household, this is a very, very, I mean, there are people that are choosing now in the UK between eating and heating. And, and that's, that's something we've never imagined. Of course, it was way too cheap energy until now. And the real price, true cost, et cetera, was never part of it. But 
a shock like this. I don't think anybody uh, predicted or people predicted it, but not this clear. And now suddenly yeah. energy yeah, is, is no longer a commodity. It's even scarce. It's really... Um, so these these communities and and cutting yourself mostly off or or shielding yourself from these forces that are completely out of your control um, are are fundamental in energy. But we've seen that. I mean, now to make the bridge to to food, it's exactly uh, just the what same. I want to say. Could yeah. to to end up on that is this auto this collective auto consumption has been possible because of the work of that federation. The policies were not there. They implemented the policies so that we can start taking our energy future at hand. So this is because before this was work. illegal. Yeah. Exactly. This is concrete work they have done at the European level for every European citizen. Of course, we don't know it because it comes from Europe and most of what's happening there, we don't know. We don't know where it comes from. But this is a concrete example of what they have been able to achieve to start scaling up. And we see that now in almost every villages around me, like, whether you are an ecologist or not, no one really cares. Everyone understands that, hey, I want to bond socially with my neighbors. I want to do something that makes sense for me, <laughs> and for I don't my want to wallet. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I want to reestablish, uh, yeah, I want to take my, my future at hand. So concrete example of what they have been able to achieve in change of policies. And sorry, I, now I'll let you go for, for food. I mean, that's an amazing example of, of quote unquote, very boring work that people did in Brussels, which for sure wasn't easy. And for sure, wasn't fast. And so what did you, I mean, it's a very concrete living example you're going through now, but so what can, what can we, the, 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 the royal we in, in food and ag learn from that? First of all, that change is possible. I think that's a, um, but also we see inflation prices now, input prices exploding. Like we see very similar things happening in the food space. And so it feels like the moment is there. What, what, what do we need to do? What are pathways on? Um, now let's start first. Like how, how is the food system organized? You see in France, obviously, but also in Europe. And why is that such an issue? And, and why do we need some power rebalancing there? And then we're going to get to pathways. Yeah. Well, I, I'll give you a concrete example. So <laughs> sorry guys, but the, the French example as I'm back to France and I've started to really digging into the one concrete example. So in France, you have 436,000 farmers. So let's say about a half a million farmers. And everything they produce goes in an hourglass processed, sold by 304 companies. Basically 300 companies that are from the agro-industry that transform and four distributors that are selling. So from 500,000, you go to 300 and then you go to a market of 67 million people. So it's kind of an hourglass, right? But it's uh, extremely like, it's like, just imagine 400,000, because it's always difficult to see it, like 400,000, yeah. 450,000 or five, a half a million, let's say, going through 300 companies. So we already missed three zeros there. And then going <laughs> for only going through, that's a thousand X just for everybody listening. And I, I, we should all take a pen, of pa pen and paper and just write that down. So 400,000 an hourglass, 400,000 on top or 440,000, 50,000, then 300 companies and then four, only four so that's a hundred thousand times reduction um, distributors. And then it goes back to an even bigger part on the bottom, which is 67 million yeah. plus some export, of course, 67 million. So that's a six zeros um, consumers that are yeah just consuming and not participating. So that's an extremely narrow yeah. uh, hourglass. Basically, it's very, you would never build it this way because it would be, it would break in, in half a second. <laughs> 
Um, and it is breaking now, actually. It's a very nice, I didn't, like pun intended, obviously. Um, so that's, that's the situation in France. And I'm guessing it's not very different across, if you would do this, would do the European, it might differ a bit, but not a lot. Like it's well, always very concentrated uh, yeah. around those 300 processors and, and four, five, six, or two even, in many cases, um, distributors. Well, we, we are back, you know, to, to a system, a capitalistic system. We, we've let, the natural tendency, and I'm not criticizing capitalism. I think we'll come to it that I think it has a lot of efficient ways of being, being used for, for good, you know. Um, it's just I'm saying that natural tendency is at one point in the chain, on the overall chain, it has focused money and therefore it has focused power because capitalism creates huge things. And those huge things, then, then they have kind of a, you know, they have the DNA to, to, to keep on living. And so they always want to acquire more. That's totally normal. You know, that's, that's, that's a surviving mode. And, and, and we've let that happen, uh, just out of, uh, just out of, uh, being precise. Those four distributors that I was talking about, they represent 92% of the market and wow. the 300 transformers, like processing companies, they represent 85% of the market. So what's left is, is nothing, you know, like the big Peanuts. pie, the big pie. Is hold by 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 that that thin part of the hourglass, and this and is if we exactly, wait a few more decades, they're going to be even less because yeah. the tendency is yeah, for those three exactly. hundred, there will be one hundred and fifty, and from those four, there will be two, one, yeah. not and, one, and, probably and, not, because then we say, "Ooh, competition, competition." And Let's of course, keep imagine, two just for fate. Now imagine that at the European level, okay, you're in your offices and you need to decide, okay, how am I going to feed five hundred million European citizens? Well. Of course, you're going to go for the one that tells you, hey, look, we are very highly recognizable. We are 300 companies. And you know what? We can take care of the 500 million. Like, you know, like they, they have Here's a very... Here's my PowerPoint. We employ a lot of people. We yeah, feed Europe We are very logic. Second. We are very efficient. You know, we're spread out all over Europe. Uh, we can ensure you here are all the KPIs. Until then, you don't have... A complementary system that tells you, hey, look, I am also able to address the European market. Uh, I am easily identifiable. This is the way I do. Until you don't have that, of course, politicians, they're going to go for food security. They're going to secure the fact that they can feed 500 million European citizens. That's totally logic. Put, put, just put one second your, yourself in their shoes. This is totally normal. And Back to the energy, that's what energy did. They said, hey, look, we are a complementary, mo complementary model. We produce green energy. We service right now about a million citizens across Europe. Yes, we are decentralized. And so what? We are federated. We are well represented at European level. Give us share of the market. Give us policies that allow us to, uh, to thrive, basically. That's what they've achieved. But that does not exist in agriculture right now. I mean, I'm not going to say agriculture, I'm going to say food systems, because tomorrow, a farm that is able to, I would say, and then I think it's going to be part of the conversation, that, that is able to base everything on organic and go beyond organic into a regenerative organic way, and that is able to say, I am a profitable company that employs a couple of people or 10, 10 people, 15 people, and, and I'm processing and I'm selling at least 50%, and I'm servicing uh, I don't know, a couple of thousands of customers and imagine that type of farm times 200,000 or even 500,000 
and playing the same rule book and being federated at the European level, suddenly hiring you the same lobbyists. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly you represent a force that is yeah, yeah. credible. That is that I can I can rely on because it's trustworthy, it's efficient, it's servicing millions of customers. And I can touch and it. So the you question know? is and the question but the question is because this the Federation of on the energy side served quite a lot of people, had very concrete examples. And I think in, in Regen Ag or Regen Record, people are like, yeah, but first of all, is it profitable? Second, is it um, is it producing a lot of food? Like, do we have, and I know we have, but I'm asking the question to you, do we have like enough of those strong examples that can be federated, that have a track record of feeding people, employing 10, 20, 30, or five, or whatever the number is, but more than one person, and that are processing quite a bit themselves and are... Um, mostly off uh, chemical inputs or completely off uh, outside inputs um, and are feeding a lot of people. Like, do we have, like, is yes. there, let's say the substrate of federation? Are we, are we, do we have those examples? And you're going to say, yes, of course, because we, we did a pre-call and we know each other, but like, just for people to hear, like, there are enough successful examples to not just point at, oh, there's a rare exception or something. No, this is a movement that against all odds and against all incentives have created successful models. So yes, good. <laughs> and that's, that's, okay, been, we're done. Like, that's oh no, been the, the work base. Starts now. Yeah. That's been the base of, of my work together with, so Université Domaine du Possible. So, uh, if we would try to do a, a literate translation, it's the, the University of the Fields of Possible, uh, which is a university and a farm. And so we are a core group of this university and this farm and a couple of other farms. Uh, and we created, we start creating an embryo of what we want to be a European network to federate all those pioneers. Those pioneers, they are Superman, Batman, uh, Catwoman, <laughs> whatever you want to call them, because they have been just, they have been, it's incredible what they've achieved because they've, they've put everything at stake to go against the current, against the tide. And, and in, in that model that, in that agricultural, agricultural model where the cap is pushing you towards one model, it's, it's just amazing what they have succeeded at doing. But so we want to federate those pioneers across Europe. We want to show that whatever the number, it's not important. We want to show that it's possible. And once this is, the, the, we have that gathering. So we've done it in France and we keep on doing it. We want to create a rule book. A quite a simple one, you know, like, hey. So what are I, the rules? I, what, are, what are the, and then let's take a visual tour to one of the examples or one of the farms just for people or one of the food companies, because at the end they are a food company. Exactly. Just to describe what you would see, touch, feel compared to the very sad fields you described before. So I'll give you an example of a, of a farm, uh, uh, which is part of the, our core group. Uh, it's called a Ferme Bio de Thé. Thé, it's uh, written T-H-E-Y. So it's, uh, it's in France, uh, 200 hectares. They have about 10 enterprises on the farm. So they have, uh, guest houses. They have, uh, I don't know how many type of life. So they have uh, livestock. They have chicken. Uh, they have market garden. They have about, uh, 50 hectares of crops, uh, that are feeding, of course, uh, all the livestock they have on the farm. It's an amazing model. Like any, uh, external, any output is an input for the other enterprise. And it really works as a, you know, a mixed. They employ crop. quite a few people. Yeah, they, they have, they have more a lot. Than, they have 12 uh, full-time employees on the farm. 
they have uh, 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 how do you say that in English? They have uh, uh, a shop on the farm where they sell. So remember, two hundred hectare farm. They sell more than three quarters of the entire wow. thing they produce: meats, uh, crops, cereals, everything they produce. More than three quarter is sold on that farm, and the farm is uh, in the suburb of a pretty large scale. Uh, like a couple of, uh, I think it's a hundred thousand people, uh, which is called Besançon. But it's a perfect example of uh, a, 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 a farm that works as an ecosystem that goes beyond organic, um, that is able to process uh, and sell most of what they produce on, 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 on their farm. And they attract so many customers that they basically are not becoming customer anymore. You know, they educate themselves, they come on the farm, they see how it works. They, they regain a link with their countryside and it's fundamental, you know, and, 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 and the price, uh, by the way, the price uh, by the, which they sell because they control their added value and control their price. Like it's not really more. And I, I don't have a study, so I'm going to be a bit vague, but it's not more than what you find right now in supermarket. Which so, is very interesting in these times. Like I read an article. Pete Oberly, I think we're going to link it below on the prices of local farms. Like this should be the time with crazy inflation and crazy energy prices, obviously, like we discussed below that farms that are mostly running on their own inputs or mostly running on not outside inputs and are selling direct. They like most of the, the, the raises in prices and the cost raises are happening outside the farm or in transport are in inputs. heating are in et cetera, et cetera. So this should be the moment. And you see that with many of these farms that are their prices are not going up as much or not even at all. And they should be out competing everybody else actually on price. Of course, they out compete on quality and on all the other benefits, but even just on price. Yeah. Because they don't have all the multiples of the distribution and these processing companies that use an incredible amount of energy and, and thus feel this, this, this gas prices and other prices so, a lot and the fertilizer. So this is an interesting moment as well. Like if, if they were already okay with prices now, of course, quality is out of the window, is out of the, through the roof. Imagine now as all the other prices are just keep exactly. going up like this winter is going to be really interesting for for that I mean, another example comes to mind is, is Laviala. we interviewed them of course um before over 2000 hectares quite a lot cultivated everything sold directly to the end consumer almost by chance um in toscany they sell most of it abroad but all of that margin all of that um, energy comes back to the farm comes back there and, and employs yeah. i think over 200 people now and and there are these examples the problem is yeah, the, what you said, they, they don't have a voice. They don't have a United. They're very busy, obviously. It's not that they have a ton of time to go to Rome or to Brussels or to no. Paris to, to start arguing because they, they literally built, let's not forget, they built a system that shouldn't be possible if you look at the incentives. Like it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. If you look at yeah. the current tram rails is pointed towards clearly towards one goal and they went completely the other direction and built a very successful example but we cannot expect others to easily follow unless we change those tram tracks so how do we bring those individual examples it is always easy to say oh this is just an exception this is yeah. just they were lucky or they had the land and they had the money and they had the history and blah 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 which in most cases is not true but let's say they had it even like how do we translate that into um, like a strong voice that changes some of those incentives and some of those, it will even take some of the, the bad ones away because m most of these yeah. things are, are being hindered by bad incentives, yeah. not even by the lack of good ones, but are just hindered by bad subsidies that, that don't make any sense. Yeah. So first step, you gather all those pioneers. Second step, 
immensely important when you go to European Union at the level of Europe, words are really important because policies are written with, with words and each word counts. The problem within food systems is that in French, we say uh, the fish is drowned. I, I just read another report of the IUCN around sustainable agriculture, agriculture, sorry, and approaches to, st to sustainable agriculture. And you have more than 15 names for the different type of sustainable agriculture. So to create a, a federated movement, easily recognizable to federate millions of customers around hundreds and thousands of farms, everyone needs a, a, a way to do agriculture that is easily ident identifiable. But if we start fighting... So how do you do that? Because that's like... Exactly. They're exactly. going to go like, no, but it should be that. No, it should be included. Exactly. That's, that's X, the key y, point. And Z. So what's, how did you do that in France? Because you have gathered this group of people, which for sure are very strong voices, because otherwise you don't build these things. And so how did you get them, first of all, in one room? Because they might not always like each other. Maybe they do. But like, how do you get that? Because yeah. you mentioned before, and we didn't get back to that yet, this simple rule book. Like, how do you make sure it's not a 50-page with exactly. 16,000 exceptions and, and all of that. Like how, what did you do in France to, to so, gather and select the group? Because yeah. it's, it's a bit, a bit of a selection of, okay, you're in and you're out or you're not there yet. Or we, we want a minimum. At least we want a bar. We want some kind of minimum. So first of all, I think there are two movements that need to start talking to one another. On the one hand, you have the regenerative movement. On the other hand, you have the agroecology movement. And those two movements, I see that they start, I, I would not say split but they don't really talk to one another. And I think that's the first major thing we need to, 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 to solve is that agroecology is basically the fact that you think about the overall food systems. You think about what you, your farming practices, but you also think about the fact that you want to keep the added value within your farm. So you process and you sell. And then regenerative movement I see is much more focused on the practices in the farm, like the farming practices. So those two things should talk to one another because they are complementary and they go very they well fit together. under the same. I mean, yep. regen practices, I, I think the umbrella is agroecology with a lot of added questions and answers around social, around added exactly. value, around economy, around democracy, etc. But And then the, the regen practices fit perfectly underneath. Like I don't yep. see any... And there's a lot more published, actually, if you search on agroecology, especially in France, but also in Spanish, there's a lot more than, than Regen Ag, which is much more Americanized or, exactly. or Englishized. Exactly. And then those two movements, so we need to reconcile them and bring them together. Then the second thing is that we need to protect them. Again, at the European level, you can use the word, those words, agroecology, regenerative, it means nothing. It literally means nothing. Like... For you as a practitioner, as a farmer, it means a lot because you, you really believe in it. But at the European level, it means nothing. Like tomorrow, I can be a company and I say, I'm a regenerative company. Who's going to check? Like there is no, there is no, nothing to check it. So I was, uh, well, we were together on a, on a Dutch farm and, and, and the farmer said, yeah, I don't want a label. Like I, no more labels. Like there is too many labels. That's definitely true. That's, I, I fully understand that. Like, the problem is that at the European level, again, when you're a politician and you make decisions over billions of euros, you need a label. You need to have a matrix of decisions that clearly identify you. Sorry, it's like this. And if we want to build a movement, we need a couple of labels that will identify us as, uh, again, heavily decentralized because we are profitable, small companies represented into the farm. The farm is the small company. 
and we need to feder be federated. So we need, we need a couple of labels. And, and we do believe in our network that we start gathering in France. We do believe that that label should be basing everything on organic. And I know some people will, will jump on that. Is that the cringe <laughs> But I can now? explain. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it can, it can, it can be for, for 30 minutes. We can talk about that based on organic. And we, we then go beyond organic in a regenerative movement. So in, in a regenerative spirit. So you base everything on something that is protecting protected, which is the AB certification, the, you know, the, the, the organic certified yeah, the thing in Europe, yeah. which is, which is pretty strong, but it's just the beginning of, of, of the regeneration process. It has, it has a lot of holes. It, it's far from being perfect. And yet it has the, 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 the good thing to exist and to be protected. And then we go towards regeneration. And then regeneration is maybe, I don't know, 50 practices for regeneration. You know, a rule book with 50 practices or 100, I don't care. But it's everything is based on organic. And then we go beyond and we do regenerative organic. And so suddenly you have something that is protecting, easily identifiable with a rule book. And then you play within agroecology because what, what does agroecology basically mean? It basically means that you want to take back the control over your added value and you want to have the benefits of that added value, the economical benefit, the social and the environmental benefits. And but if it's based on organic, isn't that already, sorry to interrupt, like protected enough in and, and has a voice in Europe? Like there must be an organic lobby in, in Brussels or there must be an organic lobby in Paris. Like what, what, is, added, what is needed? Yeah, it seems, because it, it seems, hasn't changed anything. It seems it has not changed anything because I talked with a, a deputy at the European level and he basically says the whole game of, I will call it the other part, wherever it means, is always to put you as a niche, as something for privileged rich people. So basically something that is never addressing the, the big market, the 500 million European citizens. We need to counter that. And how do we counter that? By, again, back to the energy analogy, basically say that we service more than we service a market of multiple millions of customers every day. And Is there like an interesting one in, in the one in France, you've gathered some of the data, some of the, the, the company and the food company and farm you just mentioned, like in terms of, is there an argument to make like, look, these on average, first of all, employ more people per hectare or per, and second, feed more people or there's more food being produced. Is that something we can say? Because then suddenly the argument of, oh, if we go to these niche people, we will all starve because that's sort of the, the underlying, like there was a research coming out of Wageningen University, obviously heavily sponsored by input companies. If we go organic, we all starve, basically. It was the headline more or less. Like, is there an argument to make, because you say 20 enterprises on top of the same 200 hectares, there must be an amount of, of food created there and process and of all the added value and amount of jobs, like 12 people full time, well paid yeah. for sure, is way more than the average farmer of with course. 200 hectares or the average four farms with 50 hectares. Like that's, those are arguments like the jobs, the food, and of course the health part, but that we'll get to in, in, at some point. Like, is that something? we can start arguing, like saying, like, actually, actually, we produce more food in this way. Yeah. Or actually, we employ a lot more people. Is that something you've seen, like with this group now of, of the pioneers in France that you've been gathering that have a certain size? Because it's important to mention as well, of course, they're the, the, the one hectare market gardens that feed quite a few people and have a, and are small, but you're talking actually about a certain yeah. dimension and a certain acreage and a certain 
a scale to to make that voice known like have you seen things there or is that are we too premature let's say to, to well, start we, talking about calories per hectare or food per hectare no so we start gathering the data and we start by the two important things that politicians want to hear green of course, economy, let's talk about two things that po politicians want to hear because otherwise economy, we can talk about our economy. green economy and job in my territories okay. and that's what those uh, farm they produce like they produce green economy uh one thing very important, and I'll go back to your question, Kuna, or I think it's part of the answer a bit, is that because you go beyond organic, so you don't put any input, let's say like I, I make a bit the perfect world, you don't put you don't put anything, no inputs at all. What is your economical uh, success based on? Well, it's based on the health of, of your ecosystem. Like if you have a bad health ecosystem, you won't produce, you won't have results. So you need a very good, healthy ecosystem, or let's call it agro ecosystem, to produce a lot. So how much of a regenerative economy is that? You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible because your economical success, they depend on your ecosystem success. So this is the best way to recreate a regenerative economy, you know, like Cutting this, inputs. This, this is amazing. <laughs> and when you look at those farms, well, 200 hectares, 12 full-time employees producing and servicing. I don't know how many customers in, in that shop they have on the farm. I, I could ask uh, Michelle, Michelle and Evelyn. They are the, the creator of that amazing, I would not even call it a farm. I would call it, yeah, company or whatever you want to call it. System, yeah. Yeah, almost system. Agriculture yeah, anyway. system yeah. So Ecosystem, it would be super yeah. interesting for politicians to come in that farm so that they can see what it can represent and and. Again, we want to start gathering all of those. So, so you're saying green economy and, and jobs. jobs. And if you the, start the, the telling real... those politicians at, again, at a scalable level, because 500 million citizens to be fed, remember that, you start saying that, hey, look, we are right now, maybe in Europe, we are 10,000 farms. Uh, tomorrow, if you give us X percent of the cap, and at the same time, if the investors, they give us a billion euro, then we can be surely... Uh, well, a farm needs about seven years, you know, seven to 10 years to really transform itself up, which basically right now is impossible. You need to be a maverick and the maverick, we, we, we gather them right now. But let's say then within 10 years, we have 200,000 farms like this or 500,000 farms. And we ensure that they're going to service uh, 20 million customers. So which is massive, green, just like as a transition plan. Green economy and jobs. Because remember as well that European Union is proudly advertising for the Green New Deal, but those are just objectives. They are not binded within policies right now because, because they don't have a stakeholder that is able to answer that. But remember what I just told you. Those so there's a question being asked by the European Commission, European movement, and basically it's a question to this movement, like, okay, we have these... We, the Green New Deal, but we need answers. We don't have answers. Exactly. And unless we put an answer on the table there or multiple answers, the answers will come from, quote unquote, this is at the other side, which is going to push for heavily input dependent, climate slightly more efficient, slightly cleaner, climate smart, <laughs> blah, 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 precision egg, all this nonsense. And so we need to put an answer on the right table at the right and people. The it needs to be is, a solid answer. And the answer is, I am a farm which economical success, which is proven because I exist, because I have 12, 12 employees, I have 200 hectares. I, have, I pay my bills. Yeah. I pay my bills and everything, and I, I, I pay the bills of my employees. The answer is that farm, because it goes beyond organic, 
it needs a very livable, vivid ecosystem. Suddenly, the prosperity of that farm is linked to the prosperity of its natural ecosystem. You enter Green New Deal. That's it. That's it. You have entered Green New Deal. And I just, just, just one, one, one key number is that 75% of overall uh, degradation of biodiversity is linked to our food system. So if you start, and, and it's one of the major Green New Deal objectives is to really reduce that pressure on biodiversity. And, and for that, there is no other option that transform heavily our food system and therefore transform our farms. So let's give those pioneers a way to convert other farms. And that's the whole thing about our network right now, is that our network is gathering the pioneers and as pioneers, I say we because I'm part, I'm not a farmer myself, but I'm part of the, the building of that network. We go to each farm that has a willingness and we, those pioneers, they've, they've gone through so much shit, so much problems, so much things that did not go right and they've corrected and they keep on going. And we just coach, we coach every farmer that has a willingness to change. And that's the key thing, right? Right? Like you have a coaching team that are farmers, so peer to peer. Um, and that is coaching a farmer on the long run over seven years. And now we need the money because the money does not exist. And it's, it's, it's just like 0.5 or 1, 1% of the farmers that because of their strong values, they will go through the whole tide against the tide to, to, to convert their farms. But imagine tomorrow you have a long-term support from the market investors and the cap. Then those pioneers that will be able to to, to coach all those farmers to transform their system. So basically saying, let's say this farmer we mentioned before, Michelle, and I forgot the other name, but the 200 hectares, the perfect example, or one of those examples, like the question is how do we enable them to coach and work with 10 others around them, another 200 hectares, another 2,000 hectares, and another one, and how do we make sure they are, of course their farm needs to keep running, but they have unique knowledge and unique skills that are quote unquote, a waste only on their farm because it's limiting their potential of impact. And what you're saying, we want to enable a system around them, a support system and an enabler that they can enable all their neighbors to transition or their landscape or as many neighbors as they want to because they are able to do it. We've seen it. It's it's repeatable. We've seen it in Labiala actually in Tuscany that their neighbors, of course, always called them crazy and now they're helping them transition and potentially partly selling through their platform, not always, but helping also just creating more buffers around them and making sure their neighbors are not spraying. And um, it's also interesting for, for your ecosystem, which you completely, as you mentioned a couple of times, depend on when you grow in this way. So there's this, but how do you enable them? And you're saying money, of course, the cup has to change. So we need to federalize. You're finding enough examples here in France. You're saying... Um, 10,000 farmers, is that a, like a, um, a number you came up with or that's a, a reasonable guess in Europe? You say there are around 10,000 of these serious farms or it's, it's a number you just mentioned? Like are there, because that's a, that's a big number. I, I tend to be, I tend to be optimistic and, but I think it is, it is happening. It is happening. It's just that right now, again, the fish is drowned in too many names. Like, mm -hmm. right? Like, uh, just in my region, because I scanned in, in my local region, I see at least 10 farms like this. It's just they don't use the name. They don't use those couple of labels that are necessary so that we can federate and but go to there. But they do exist. And, and the interesting thing is that you have the one hectare market garden. And most of the time, they cooperate with a bigger farm. And so together, they start creating more added value. And that's basically agroecology 
on the territory, you have multiple farms that one input of a farm is an output of another and they collaborate with one another. And you could consider them as only one system. And have you like brought together this group in France and have you already interacted with policy or with politicians, let's say in regions or in Paris? Like, has no, there been yet. any kind of conversation? And, and if so, not yet. Okay, we have to come back to this because I'm fascinated about the response to people when they see, look, these are, this is serious. We want to be a peer-to-peer farming experience. But the thing that we start seeing is that the cap right now is not going to change quickly enough. It's a too tight system. And we need the help of the market because the market to invest in a farm, like let's say it invests just in a farm because this farm is now a food company, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's an important it's processing. Place. It's selling. It's yeah. much more than a farm. So yeah. I invest in a food company, which is actually a farm, but you need to trust the farmer. Like, you know, any VC fund, they don't really invest in the ID of the, 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 the team. They invest in the team themselves itself. Right. So they trust the team because the team has been doing Harvard or Stanford or whatever polytechnic in France, whatever, you know, and we need that same entrepreneurial thing within farming. But who's going to vet for the quality of the education, let's call it like this, of the farmer? What I, we think that our network can play that role because we've gathered the pioneer, which are the experts. I want those experts to be paid. That's the first thing. Farmers have been, again, we're back to, we've extracted the value of the farmers for so many decades. But those farmers are the experts. You know, they, they've, they've tested so many things. That they've, they've done underground experimentation that have worked. They are the expert. They need to be paid for that expertise, right? And if they are paid for that expertise and they can transmit the knowledge to all those farmers, then we can put a vetting thing saying, we've, we've helped that farmer for two years and we are sure we've, tr- we've, 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 we've gathered and told him everything he needs to know to transform his farm. He's a good entrepreneur that we can trust hey, VC fund or whoever wants to give him money, we, 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 we ensure that this is going to work. Of course, there's still, there still a, a risk. And there's that's, risks. There's, there's VC fund. Okay, so your, your, your work now is, okay, how do we make them, quote unquote, almost, not almost, make them investable, make these food companies let's keep calling them or food ecosystems and value creation like it's not it's ba- it happened to be based on a farm because of course they have to um and but they're good businesses and they're investable businesses and they can grow and scale and invest more in processing and thus increase their margins invest more in their shop freezing whatever and invest in more hectares in more acreage or start working with more neighbors and and it's it's an a scalable business maybe not instagram scalable but it's definitely a scalable business model exactly and 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 the important thing is that also as a as a as a funder you will have to change a bit your metrics of decision like the time but also the fact that you're going to put less money but in more companies because those companies again you don't want to create the same problems that have led us to so much social and environmental crisis by creating those monsters right those gi- gigantic things the thing is that if you want not only to, to, to make profitable companies and at the same time do not ruin your social and environmental ecosystem, you need, again, hundreds and thousands of food companies spread out all over European territories. So you, you will need to invest in maybe thousands of those farms. 
So the way you will manage your investments is going to be more complex, but it's going to be healthy and you will have return on investments, not only on your money, but also on social and environmental KPIs, which by the way, in funds and investments become also predominant more and more, right? So, so it's just, you will need to adapt your metrics of decisions. It's going to be more complex, but that's okay, right? Like we have technology to manage complexity now. And, and so you also need to, to change. Like, it's not like I'm going to put in three startups that are going to grow to 500,000 people in five years. No, I'm going to invest in a farm, which has 200 hectares. And that number of hectares is also limiting, of course, the number of cows and everything, because it's based on only grasslands, but also the number of employees, right? Like you, you won't build something that will be 300 employees. 1,000 people. Yeah. yeah, no, it's going to be very healthy. Like it's small entities, very agile, very resilient, um, that, that do not require external inputs. So it's in a way, it's very safe as well. Your investment is in safe hands. Because also, so the, the counter question is there, like in, in the energy movement you've been following and studying and, and participating as well from Patagonia to, to like, is there a role for these larger outside investors or because I've seen many of those actually tapping into the crowd and tapping into, because it's not that you need 500 million. It's not that you need a lot of times. 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, maybe, yeah. maybe 20. And, and there are, especially these kind of farms you mentioned, especially ones with a history, they have a very large network of people with money, maybe not people with 50 million, but people with considerable wealth, with a bit of wealth that are more than happy to put that to work for an interesting return locally in the food company they also buy from like is there or is there also a balancing act there like we discussed before like the giants are the investors and they would love to do stuff in the space i mean that's why hopefully many are listening to this this show and also are getting interested in regeneration but at the same time there's the consumer which could become investor which now only is limited to invest in renewable energy which is great not saying we shouldn't but i would love as a as a participant of the food system to also invest in way more transitions of the food yeah. and i can't like, what's the role of the crowd investing? I'm not saying crowdfunding, but specifically investing here. Do you see yeah. many of these food companies actually just saying, yeah, of course, giant investor, if you want to, you can play by these rules, but actually we, we can get it funded ourselves if we want. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's a, it's a, it's a very important thing that you raise. And we start seeing a couple of uh, initiatives uh, here. I speak in France. You see uh, companies starting to, I mean, companies like I would almost say non-for-profit companies are very, uh, 21st century non-extractive companies type governance. Uh, they, they say like, I want to take the, 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 the resources of citizens that basically have in banks and are doing nothing with it. And I want to funnel it into the agricultural, uh, transformation that we need. And so that, that, that money is gonna, is gonna be very important. And I talked to one of that company and their key point is, well, you know, the, the only thing is that we need to trust the farmer that, that, that is going to, is going to start a new farm. It comes back to your point. Yeah. It comes back to my point. It comes back to the point that right now to give expertise and training to those new farmers from the pioneers, that system is not, there, there is, there yeah. is, there is no money in there. And so the, the pioneer that needs to run his farm is not paid for that huge expertise he's going to bring yeah, uh, to those so farmers, but also to societies. Yeah. So you're building a business or a movement that will be sort of 
helping the investors and the platforms to funnel money there and by helping them i'm putting words in your mouth so please correct yeah. like getting paid for that and with that money you'll be able to pay the coaches the, the the pioneers willing to to coach others but of course don't have time to do that for free or nothing and run courses and like how do you and there's there's need for an enabler there to unlock this this huge yeah. knowledge and to get paid for that knowledge because that's the but there you say actually there's money for that because investors want to get into the space investors large and small want to get into it and need some kind of due diligence fee yeah. and costs because they have no clue if this farmer with a pretty spreadsheet is better than this other farmer with a pretty exactly. sp spreadsheet or pretty presentation yeah. exactly and and i give you an example uh valentine de Gagné, who is part of our core group in the network she started uh agroecology uh, school uh, in paris first uh we call it lycée agricole in french first school to be opened for decades based fully on agroecology she doesn't find any funds for that like they like she she's totally blocked and she needs she needs funds to to train the new generation of farmers to build farms which is everything we just talked about you know so that then we can federate and go to european union so there is a we need to start investing in the farmers themselves and either we do it through new type of schools to train farmers uh or even better by because they are such entrepreneurs already like we just create the peer to peer but this peer to peer needs to be the, the the pioneers they need to find economic sense because in everything they do there is economic sense so they need to be paid for their expertise to transmit them to all the farmers that have a willingness to transform and then of course we will go find the funds for each farm to be transformed within 7 to 10 years but the base is that the pioneers feel safe because i am paid for that i am paid for everything i'm going to give to the all day the others. a week I'm doing this and I'm paid well and for that it because I've spent 40 also, years of learning. Yeah. yeah. And that process ensures like risk management for the investors tomorrow when he will invest in the farmer that has been trained. Because then suddenly the risk is just way lower because that investor or politicians, they know that the farmer is constantly uh, helped by a, a, a network of pioneers that, that within a day is giving experience of maybe decades you know <laughs> and, and that yeah, has I've a price said it would, be, price. it would be great it has a price and would be as an investor you would sit next to a richard perkins or joel salatin i'm not sure if they're the most commercial success but like successful agroecology farmer and just see who comes through the gates there who works there and who goes out and start or who calls them and say can you help but of course there's a, a missing piece there you have to fund and pay the the successful one to to work with the others and to enable them to work with the others and then actually but it's a simple quote-unquote due diligence cost that you would normally pay anyway but just if he or she like the successful agroecology farmer says this one is real this is a real deal like i i would love to work with xyz and my distant neighbor because they really understand they've done the groundwork then as a as an investor that cost of paying the agroecology expert to to work with them is a very small thing compared to the investment you're making anyway exactly. like it's a proof of it's it's the um, the due diligence costs there are if you do enough of them are absolutely negligible but you have to trust the agroecology expert and and the, the exactly. one who's done the 40 years of work to 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 really know his or her uh, her work obviously i mean you can see the example it's a very interesting different model for as an investor but it makes a lot of sense and i think it i mean i don't know if you run the the, the numbers 
But as a model, it makes absolute sense from an investor point of view. Yeah, I think it does. I think it really does. And uh, so, and what would you do it. with a billion billion euros? You had a, let's say tomorrow or tonight we we record this podcast goes live, and and you you suddenly wake up with with uh, almost unlimited money in your your bank account to invest. Let's get to yeah. it. Like it's an investment. You can put some of it to policy because I, I consider that honestly an investment as well. But what would you do if you had a billion euros with this inflation numbers? Might we might have to add a few zeros, but let's say a billion euros is still a lot of money when this comes out. What would you do with that if you had to put it to work? I think that the first thing I would do is that every pioneer we've gathered so far, I'll make sure that their farm runs well. So maybe they need to employ someone to manage the farm or whatever, you know, they, and then free some time from those pioneers because they are an, an infinite source of value for future food systems. I gather them and I tell them, now guys, with this billion, we're going to go farmer by farmer. We're going to identify how they want to transform their model. And, uh, and, and you're going to give me the business case, like for each farm, seven to 10 years, what it, what it takes for them to be under regenerative organic practices and sell at least 50%. And we do that. We start by checking. Just okay. sorry, selling at least 50% locally, meaning locally. from the farm and yeah. not in global food systems. So that's, those are the two big ones for you. Yeah. Regen organic in X years and selling at least 50% directly, let's say. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's call it like this. Because again, because those two things will help you to transform the cap also. You know, it's, it's about federating at the European level and we need to play among a rule book that is clearly identifiable. But in any way, those pioneers, then I gather them, every hour they spend counseling, um, counseling, uh, giving advices to those farmers, I pay them well, I pay them well. And, 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 and then we build business case farm by farm and we follow them over the course of their overall transformation over seven years. And we start, and we start like doing maybe, I don't know, like you give me a billion. So I'd say in 10,000 farm, I invest a hundred thousand euro or something like that. Um, and, and then we convert 10,000 farms. And then once we have that, then we have a federation. We go to Europe. And then we convert the real big money. Then we convert the cap, which is 400 billion over the course of seven years. <laughs> Just to let us think in 400 billion in seven years. And I would say 99% goes to, or 95, whatever the number is, way too much goes to non ex So you say we have to build the movement, even though the amount of pioneers we have now is not enough yet to, to be strong enough. So we have to free up the time pay the time of these pioneers. So the best thing investors could do is pay the pioneers to work with others and to invest in the others to transition. That's yeah, exactly. what you're basically so saying. So, the, the, you know, the pioneers, that end, let's say someone invests in those pioneers, really give them the time. And then those pioneers, they identify the first hundred farms. They make the business case, it works. And then the investors say, I'm fully interested. Let's go for those hundred first. And then they build uh, something over the next seven, 10 years. Uh, and then... We make, uh, you know, you have uh, you have a percentage of seventy-five uh, percent success or whatever. You know, we we try managing risks, uh, and then and then we start lo lo like by iteration uh, loops. We start having a very good rule book, and we start knowing like there might be a process that we can a bit duplicate. And and while you do that, you never go into the the the, the negative side of capitalism. You never want to create a big machine. You always want to create small, resilient food companies, which are farms, right? It's, it, it is key because otherwise you, you keep on just building a new problem. Like the solution is the decentralization of the money. Like 
keeping the money within the farm, which now are food companies, keeping the money in those farms, which act in their territories, are able to, in a very agile way, adapt to their own context. I was talking to a regenerative farmer right before us, and he was saying, you know, there is always the problem when, once you start going regenerative and, and organic, like everything you apply on, on one, one farm is not really always going to work on the other. And this is where you need the help of pioneers because the pioneers, they're going to manage the risk of everything they've seen, everything they've built themselves. They're going to say this, whatever the context might work. And then because I'm super agile, I've been doing that for 40 years every day. I've, I've between science and consciousness, I've always worked between those two things. Uh, I'm going to help you, you know, and, and, and this is the best risk management ever. And, and just to be, to, to, Double click on small, like we're not meaning a mom and pop, um, homestead farm that, that, that eats everything they produce. Like small, I mean, 200 hectares might sound small, depending where you are. If you're in Australia, small, this is very, very small, but these are actually medium sized businesses, medium sized food businesses that employ 10, 20, 50, 100, whatever the number is that process that have machines that this is a, a considerable company, but they're not a Unilever. Like these are, are medium sized or small to medium sized businesses that could employ quite a few people. And of course we have to repeat it, but it's not a small, like one family runs everything and, and they're with two no, people and, and constantly like these are companies. These are, we have yeah. to treat them really as food companies in part of an ecosystem, which happens to be a farm and, and thus they could be investable and could grow and scale and then repeat it and replicate it, et cetera. But small is, is just to compare it to the Cargill's yeah. Unilever's and, and, and massive scalability, the new scalability is 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 uh, you investing in maybe thousands of of food companies slash farms. <laughs> I like the and stackability. I mean, if you say twenty com twenty enterprises on the same land, that's scale, but it's scale up, not scale wide. Exactly. And and that's that's very counterintuitive, I think, for many investors. And unless you until you see it, like all these hidden efficiencies that are there when you run all of these enterprises on the same land, which is still quite big. 200 hectares is not small at all. Um, but oh, for there's Europe, space, there's still space for, for more enterprises on it. And at some point, some of these enterprises start working with neighboring land as well and exactly. it starts spreading. So it's small, but it's definitely not small. It's like there's an interesting yeah. tension there you need to explore and, and get comfortable with running it as a company. Like this is a company that pays bills, pays employees, pays pension costs. Like this is not process stuff, not in a kitchen, but in a professionally uh, clean, certified kitchen stuff, processing units. This is, this is real. And you um, answer real food and, and you, real business. And you answer really the three pillars, you know, social, environmental and economical. So again, it, it, it is really that, that system that I, 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 I took from energy and we try here to apply to agriculture, that system is smart um, because um, it, it, it really, again, I, I can only insist and emphasize that it's not anymore 300 companies holding 95% of the value. It is 300,000, a million or whatever food companies giving money in their territories to everyone. So if you are really true to your social environmental goals on top of having a healthy economy or a regenerative one, this is the way to go. Like there, there is no other way because we see it for the past 70 years. Like the more you concentrate, the more you create problems and you need to rely on the capacity of the farmer to act between science, conscious, consciousness, like his consciousness is, is wiseness, science, 
and again, the fundamental thing is that their prosperity is based on the prosperity of their of their natural ecosystem, and 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 and, and I think that's why that's why it's the best regenerative economy we can think of, right? Like you work with the land, that land, that land is 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 if you take care of it, it will take care of us. Really, it, it will, it will. So. I really believe in in that system, but it, it definitely changed. It needs a switch in our way to invest and trust and the pioneers. How how repeat? Yeah, that point on the pioneers. Like how repeatable is it in a sense? What if these pioneers, of course, against all odds, super entrepreneurial, uh, but are maybe the one percent of the one percent exception that are because they're most of all of like is this teachable and is this can we? expect that others will be not as entrepreneurial but entrepreneurial enough to start processing companies on their on their farm start selling directly to a certain extent like these are a lot of traits that um, like the in in society in general i think the the research suggests 15 percent one five is is very entrepreneurial and, and will build uh, businesses etc like do we have enough entrepreneurial farmers that with the right coaching can make these big steps because it's a massive thing going from very inputs, but also very recipe driven. Like I'm selling to the same cooperative, I'm buying the seeds and the inputs and the pesticides and the herbicides and the uh, agronomic advisor comes from the same uh, cooperative as well. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm not making a lot of money. I'm very stressed and I'm on my tractor, especially in the summer until midnight very often. But at least I'm, I don't have to make so many decisions because maybe I don't want to, or I'm not able, like, is there enough entrepreneurial capacity? in the cur in the farmers to to replicate this yeah well <laughs> I, I don't have the numbers or whatsoever but i can tell you that only just for example the farmer in my village the guy is conventional but he sees that anyway his ecosystem is is is, is just uh it's just dying uh, he tries to to put a bit of mulching and doing a bit of different rotations and stuff but uh, but he sees that it's not enough so whether they want it or not, uh, it's coming also to an end. And, and it's also coming to an end because uh, synthetic fertilizers are just going the roof in terms of prices and, and, and all the other, other things. So, um, Our I hand think will be forced. Yeah. That, that will be forced. But also, I think that genuinely farmers, they, they, just, they just love what they do and they love la their lands and, 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 uh, and their terroir. And, and, and therefore, uh, it's not that I want to, again, it's not that I want to convert any, anyone and nor am I fighting against something. It's just, I'm like, I'm here and I say, I think there is a, a quite a substantial percentage of farmers that are interested in another model that can be very much complementary to the model we have right now. And over the course of the next 10 years, let's identify the one that actually answers best all our problems. Like, that's it. I, I'm not, I'm really... Not against anything. I think like we can really work all together, and it's it's really about. And I don't want to create an alternative model and put be put in a niche. I want to show that hey guys, I'm actually pretty massive. It's just the way you understand massive is not the same way. Me, I'm massive because I represent with our federation at European level. We represent five hundred thousand farmers, each of them employing five to fifteen people, servicing each farm. 500 customers but if you start adding up the numbers that that that's that's quite a lot so it's just about reinventing uh, what massification and 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 scalability also means and and i'm 100 percent sure that many farmers are, are ready for that journey it's just it's just like 
when one third of the total European budget pushes you so much in the tide that, that way. It's impossible for you alone in your small farm with so many problems already to transform, right? Like, of course, you, you don't even have time to think whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not. Like, it's, it's impossible. You have so much thing to deal with. And that's why the first thing is the, 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 the pioneers will come and help. Like, you keep on running your business as you do, and we'll run the numbers, we'll run with our expertise, our pioneering, and we'll start showing you that there is a path forward. And, and, and I think that's, that's what's needed. But again, those pioneers, they also, they cannot do that just for free. Too long, farmers have not been paid for their expertise. They need, they are the first expert because they work on the ground. And, and they need to be so, recognized for that. No, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a really good way to, to end this conversation. But I want to ask one more question, uh, which usually ends to more questions, uh, leads to more questions. So what if you had, it's the magic wand question. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing, um, overnight in honestly the food and agriculture system globally, it could be something else as well. We've been talking about Europe uh, mostly the whole time, but maybe it's something completely different. If you could change one thing, but one thing only overnight, what would that be? <laughs> um, I'm looking in the food system and I'm like, I think I think it would be to make sure regenerative and agroecology are binding together and find a way to protect their spirit. And by that, I mean their practices. It's not so ambitious. It could, it could be more ambitious. It could be abolishing all subsidies or it could be, I don't know, ah, you're, you're say, give people ambitious. better taste. It could be very dreamy <laughs> if you want to, but very concrete. I, I like the answer because I think it's a, no, it's but a I think one. I think the most important for me is to say that uh, our farm, tomorrow in our farm, uh, I'd say 50% of citizens should be part of the production of their food. Because then and they would understand part of meaning of the meaning of, you of, buy of, at of one of those shops of you... producing their food. Uh, because then I think they would understand they would they would link they would link back with the ecosystems and they would see how dramatically degraded they are. And from there on, that deep link would tell them that whatever the the the, the walls in front of us, we need to act because that deep connection with ecosystems is what we miss. And once you have it and you feel like, okay, our ecosystems are suffering, um, then you, you act whatever the walls. And that's what those pioneers have done. Like really, they've had, they have China walls in front of them, or how do you say it? The Grand Muraille de Chine? Chinese wall, walls. Chinese walls, yeah, yeah. or whatever, in front of them. And they've, they've just climbed them. And I'm like, I keep on like, how the fuck did you do it? And it's because every time you talk to them is that they have a deep sense of being linked to social and their social and environmental ecosystems. They see it suffering and I don't, they don't want, they don't want to be part of that suffering. They want to, they want to find like answers that to solve that. And, and it's that deep anchorage that made them stand uh, in front of a tide that, that was, that, that was just washing everything over, you know, like washing, washing everything out. I think it's. Is that dangerous now that, that, the you see at least so not a question uh that the financial world which predominantly has been extractive for the last decade i mean before i mean there was always a role of money of course we try to explore that here in the podcast uh, a role of money to create and to build 
and and of course to colonize and extract and, and and all of that but to especially last the financial sector has become mostly about the financial sector let's say like getting interested in food and agriculture and maybe visiting these pioneers and and like is that dangerous that we're going to put pressure on them for maybe returns or certain conditions or you say man they have built they've they've climbed these walls they've they've let's say fought tougher fights they are more than able to to um, keep the wolves of Wall Street at bay? Like, is that dangerous that we start to pay a lot of attention and start knocking on their door um, with with billions of dollars to invest and to change the countryside <laughs> and to store carbon and blah, 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 blah? Like, do you see a risk there? Uh, yes, of course, always. Uh, but the thing is, that's why we build, a, uh, we build a peer-to-peer farmer network is that we don't want any expert uh, and I'm not a good example. Maybe I'm kind of an expert, but let's say <laughs> I'm also trying to apply. I'm trying to walk my talks. Uh, and that's why I'm part of that core group that create that network. But, you know, we are basically untouchable because all those farmers, they are economically independent. And once you are they economically independent, money. no, they have fuck you money, as Nassim Taleb would say. Yeah. yeah so you can't really take pressure. So you welcome whoever you want and you reject whoever you want. And that's how we want to that's work. A very yeah, good right? point. Yeah. Like, like, like you, you cannot take pressure. You can't take pressure because right now your system works. So, you know, you want to extract something from me? Yeah, just fuck off. You know, I, I don't need you. Uh, but you I'm going to work with it. It's very interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you right now just... the farmers, they are no expert. Like they're considered as no expert. They're just considered as a, as a, as a bad peasant produce what I'm going to sell for you. Like, no, no. No, no, no. It's not how it should work. No. Look, I'm going to sell you whatever I want from my production and you're going to pay me well for that because it's made with love, a, a lot of healthy environmental social benefits. Uh, so those fam- famous ecosystem services. And you're going to pay me well for that. And we're going to start redistributing, redistributing the cards. Like I'm part of a federation that is advocating at the European level. And that federation... Uh, helps me standing my ground, keeping my added value, selling to wherever I want. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm just saying, let's be back at the, at the negotiation table. I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation, Hervé. I don't think it's the, the last time we talk about this. This is a, a story to, to be followed. And um, I would love to, to keep doing that over time. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for making time today. You're not feeling super well and you, you battled through, but I'm not sure how the rest of your day would look like, but I'm very happy you shared an hour and 20 minutes with us today to, to share about the journey so far. Thank you all. And thank you very much, Kun, for the interview. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links discussed, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash post. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.